Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Scriptures from John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In those lay many ill, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been laying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The old man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now the day was a Sabbath. The word of God for us, the people of God today. Thanks be to God. So about 30 years ago, Dr. Carmel Harrington, she graduated from Sydney University with her PhD in sleep medicine which was a completely new and emerging area of study um, situated within a larger conversation that was beginning to be had about sleep in this whole culture that we now have called wellness, right? We have a, a wellness culture now. We have apps like Calm and things like that. But this was very new conversation to be had. One of just a handful of people to do a PhD in sleep medicine And so the sky was really the limit for her in her career. Work and and research was exhilarating. The conversations she was having day to day were like cutting edge conversations. She was already being invited to sit on the boards of pharmaceutical companies and educational institutions. And she was in conversations with publishers about upcoming book deals. And before long, she was at the top of her game as the leading sleep scientist, this new term, writing books in this fast-growing wellness world, like a complete guide to a good night's sleep and the sleep diet. And soon she met her husband in this world, and they 
They bought a beautiful house together and they began to think about a future and a family together and life was exactly as she had imagined it would be or should be, how she had seen her life. It was exactly what she wanted. Invited to almost nightly benefits and galas and fundraisers and speaking engagements, life was like she had always imagined, surrounded by the ones that loved her and ones that respected her in her field, just the string of parties and engagements in which she was the honored guest, the authority in the room, sleep scientist of the year. And then everything changed. Everything changed and halted abruptly when her child died in the middle of the night at six months while her child was sleeping, while conversation about sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS, it was just beginning to be had. People really weren't talking about this, but she had been in her field. She knew the list of preventative steps and a list that has changed almost every single decade, right? on their stomach, on their back. Passy, no passy. She knew this. This was her world. This was her expertise, but her PhD and notoriety and respect in the field, it did not rid her of the immense guilt that overcame her, wondering still, even when she had done everything right, she did everything on that list if she could have prevented it. She was now on the receiving end of, of answers, or the lack thereof of answers, to why, how this could happen. And the life that she had always imagined, that string of nightly parties and speaking engagements of honor and celebration was set in such an unwanted contrast to the grief and guilt that she felt inside. It's the same contrast that begins our, our scripture today. Did you hear it? Sam talked a little bit about it. In John 5, we begin with this juxtaposition. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, where it says that there was a festival with all of its you know, festival-like things, all its people waving and shouting and celebrating and commemorating. But then it says that that was not the only thing going on in the city. Elsewhere in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, is this pool in which you'd find all kinds of people. People hurting like, like Dr. Harrington. People longing for all kinds of things. At the beginning of John 5 is this stark contrast between this festival and this pool. This contrast of festival scenes amid a holy city, people having pilgrimaged from far off from these little towns to get here and having long awaited this moment. And then over here are these five porticos of full of water and full of people who are ill and invalid and unwanted and unseen, unheard. And amidst these two scenes today is Jesus who we find not with those looking for a celebration, not with those at the 
countless galas, but with those like Dr. Harrington feeling the weight of life, those needing a physician, Jesus dropping by the nursing home with fresh cut azaleas instead of flowering the cross at Easter Mass. And in one of these outdoor porticos, we hear Jesus striking up a conversation with a man who has been ill for 38 years and who is lying beside the pool filled with waters that have been rumored to heal. The only problem is that he, he can't seem to get to the water. Perhaps it's because the crowds are so large that he keeps getting pushed aside in the crowds, or because whatever has made him ill has stolen his mobility enough so that lowering himself into the pool has become absolutely impossible now. Whatever the reason, he, he can't get to the water. It seems like, like he's living with healing just out of his reach. It seems like that's actually become a way of life for him, living with healing just out of his reach. But Jesus strikes up a conversation with him by the pool and Jesus asks him a very simple question. Do you want to be made well? And in his answer crops up this immediate defensiveness. We can only imagine what has made him so on guard. All those times he's been blamed for his own illness. I wonder if he hears in Jesus's query the, the suggestion that he should have tried harder. Think a little bit more positively. Be proactive about your health. The man he feels that he needs, he needs to enlighten. He needs to enlighten Jesus, who, this, who to him is just a stranger. He doesn't know Jesus as Jesus. He feels like he needs to educate this guy a bit on the scarcity of resources in this particular long-term care facility. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. The water stirs up and no one's here to help me. And while I'm making my way slowly there myself, someone else always seems to step down and get ahead of me. How presumptive to assume I don't want to be made well. Of course I do. If he didn't want to be made well, he wouldn't keep making those regular trips to the pool, right? It is through no fault of his own that he is still sick. Thank you much, intrusive stranger. I'm making the best of my impossible situation. Jesus asks a simple question, and in the man's defensiveness, we see the extent of the emotional and mental and relational, not just physical toll of his condition. But what this man doesn't realize is that he's caught in a conversation with this intrusive stranger. He's, he's caught in a conversation that's not actually the conversation he thinks it is. He's caught like Nicodemus in the chapter before, and like the woman at the well in the chapter before that, and like Mary and Martha in the chapter next, he's caught in one of those conversations with Jesus that is not about what it seems to be about. He thinks they're talking about the pool, about how many people are elbowing each other toward the water and about how hopeless his case is. But Jesus is talking about something else entirely. Jesus is not talking about illness. 
Illness is what everyone else, every person at every pool under every portico is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about illness. Jesus is talking about healing. Jesus isn't talking about the circumstances of the man's long days at the edge of this pool, but about his taking up his mat and walking and following. Notice for a second what is not in this story. It's pretty unusual, actually, for healing stories in the Bible. Notice that there is no request for healing in this story. The only question comes from Jesus. The man does not reach out to Jesus for help or otherwise request healing. We have no indication that he knows Jesus to be a healer at all, actually, or that he knows anything at all about Jesus, except that this dude asked some seriously uncomfortable personal questions of strangers. This moment with Jesus is, as Paul later describes in Ephesians, a moment with the God who is able to abundantly, exceedingly do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. He doesn't ask. This is the God whom Jesus reveals here in this moment. This man at the pool does not ask and could not have imagined the event as it unfolds. Notice what else is missing in this story. Missing also is any mention at all of faith, which is also highly unusual in the Bible. Neither what the man believes nor where he places his trust ever come up. All throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke, we get a Jesus who sees the faith of someone who has been ailing for some time and says, it is your faith that has made you well. Even in Matthew and Mark and Luke, similar stories of healing of a paralyzed man, Jesus sees the faith of some friends who bring a man to Jesus. He sees his friend's faith, and for that, he eventually says, take up your mat and walk. But the healing in John 5 includes nothing about believing. In fact, even when the man is asked to identify the one who healed him, he can't do it. He, he can't even point to Jesus because Jesus has already just melted into the crowd. No request, no noticeable faith. All we get is this man who, though he has learned not to expect the system to meet his needs, keeps over and over and over again returning to the pool because even a slim, a slim chance of healing is better than none at all. Dr. Harrington's life had shifted from a string of parties to a life of guilt and grief. And when she asked for answers, she always got none. They would just say something like, it's just a tragedy, I'm so sorry. And she said that just did not sit well within her scientific brain. It could not be that this was just a tragedy. She couldn't let that be, and so like Jesus passing over the festival for, for the portico, she shifted her whole life's focus. Everything she had ever worked for toward finding a cause for SIDS. Both herself and is that a cause that could, could be a benefit to herself, to, to other, other parents, to the entire medical community as a whole. 
25 years ago, she began this journey. And this week, on May 11th, something miraculous happened. Her research led her to the discovery that, that all these various things that have changed decade after decade, that we're supposed to keep babies from this mysterious death that we still don't quite understand, that her research led her to discover that this phenomena that parents have tried to prevent for years through a variety of ways they thought were in their control, it's actually caused by a defect in part of the brain that controls the arousal from sleep and breathing. No, this is not a cure. But these, these families, including herself, they can now live with the knowledge that this is not their fault. It's not a cure. It's not about the illness, but there's, this is a profound moment of healing from guilt, from fear, and this new freedom emerges, right? To identify infants at risk now and to find avenues for future research, for, for, for interventions. It changes the course of the future. Even a slim chance, a slim glimpse of healing is better than none at all. And alongside a pool known for its healing waters, as well as its string of cutthroat invalids and expanse of long-term residents, we finally get our healing in this story. No lines, no waiting. After 38 years of being ill, this man's waiting is over. The time of healing is now. There is no waiting for the water to be stirred up or for a turn in line or even for the sun to go down on the Sabbath so that the healing of a chronic condition isn't so controversial. Jesus speaks to the man and the man picks up his mat and he walks. And though there is, though there's more to this story, most of it can be summarized in Jesus's explanation of his actions. A little bit later in the story, we get Jesus explaining what has happened here. Before all the Jews questioning Jesus on his choice to heal on the Sabbath, before the crowds amazed and the pools of people still longing for healing, Jesus says quite simply, friends, my father is still working. And I also am working. It's this super strange phrase. If you just nodded along with me, like you didn't actually mean to do that. My father is still working, and I too am working. It's this weird phrase. My father is working, and I'm also working. It feels a little obvious. Well, of course, Jesus, if you claim to be God, then when God works, you work, right? It's this strange phrase, this simple explanation from Jesus of what has happened here by the pool. It feels obvious, but I don't think Jesus is trying to be obvious. Jesus says, my father is working. This man has been healed. After 38 years, this man has, has been healed. This miracle has been done. You, you have just received a glimpse of the wonder and the goodness and the wholeness of heaven in your midst. My Father is working. You have come to be healed and you have been healed. 
but I am also working. If all you see is the illness and the remedy, you miss so much more. You miss all the other ways that I am working by showing up to the pool and forgoing the party, by meeting you not just when you seek and ask and pray, not just when you come abounding in steadfast faith, but also when you're weary and you don't know what to ask for because you know, you don't know what you even believe anymore. Don't miss all the ways that I'm working, not just in finding a cure for that which accounts for 37% of infant deaths, which God is surely working, and, and what a miracle, a glimpse of heaven that will be. But while you're waiting for that, don't miss the rest. The way I'm meeting you in guilt and grief, the way I'm providing answers where there were no answers, the way I'm bringing together people who were estranged in relationships after a death in a family, surrounding you with what you need to do the thing that God has called you to do now, to put the one step in front of the other and to help others do the same. My father is working, and I also am working. Take up your mat and walk. Would you pray with me? God, I believe that there are, are two kinds of people here, people for whom faith comes easily and people for whom it doesn't, and they just kind of have to struggle at it. But they both show up in a space like this. For those that faith comes easily, they, they don't have to have God working. They don't have to have my father working. They don't have to have the big miracles to believe. They just believe. And many of them believe that those miracles will happen, can happen, do happen. And also there are those of us who just are like, why haven't I seen it? Because that might help me a little bit, God, to believe. Might help me not have to wrestle so much with faith. But perhaps, perhaps these two together are the completion of Jesus' explanation of John 5, that my Father is working, and there will be those among us who testify to that, and... And also, too, Jesus is working. We can see it in the smaller moments and the ways, God, that you are healing underneath, not at the galas, away from the party, doing that, that slow work of erasing guilt and answering our questions and helping us create community to support each other through the worst of life. God, thank you for working in all your many ways. We join together in that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.